their super leaders, influencers, inspiration leaders, all great, amazing people out there. This is Lenka and Alex with yet another episode of the Influential Executive Podcast. Today is one of the most energetic episodes we've ever recorded. This powerhouse is going to charge your batteries whether you are just listening to this or whether you are watching the videos and I strongly encourage you you guys just go and like YouTube this video because it has been amazing. We recorded today an interview with a person who masters the relationships in your workplace. So when you ever wondered how I can improve my relationship with my own boss, she is the person to go to. Mary Abijay, uh, it was so it was amazing to get to know her. In this episode, you're gonna learn how to manage your manager. It's awesome. I wish that I learned that 10 years ago. What do you pay attention to when you are being a detective (laughs) about finding out how your manager works? Yeah. It actually gives you the responsibility because so often we hear people, my manager is like this and my boss is really bitchy and lazy and never has time. Well, at the end of the day, what can you do in order to improve this relationship? One thing you can do is wait. <laughs> and wait? I, don't, I don't mean wait, wait. I mean W-A-I-T. That's one of the tricks that Mary uses. What does it mean? Well, you will find out in the interview. This interview is sponsored by Earn More Work Less, earnmoreworkless.com. We give superpowers to team leaders so you achieve more with the same resources, a lot less stress. We have many tools and resources available on our website, earnmoreworkless.com. One of the things we do is we invite awesome individuals, inspirational leaders for a good, meaningful conversation. Today, Mary Abijay, here we go. Okay, Mary, welcome to our podcast. Thank you so much. I am so excited to be here. It's delightful to see you guys all the way across the Atlantic. So it's fun to be able to connect this way. (laughs) Yeah, it's beautiful eh? how easy it is to connect nowadays and how easy it is to find people who have a beautiful message to share with everybody who's listening. Oh, thank you. That means a lot to me. You know, I, I, you know, I do what I do because I really want to help people and I really want to help people have a great work-life experience because that's where we spend most of our waking hours is at work. So it's really, I really appreciate that. That's great to hear. And um, yeah, that's why we are in it as well to help. And, you know, we, we focus mostly on team leaders. So people inside organizations who we're like squeezed in between all those expectations <laughs> and just somehow need to make it work. And what I love so much about uh, your perspective on this is you say, regardless who your boss is, it is your responsibility to make your work experience great. Yeah, that's right. I love that. You know, I think being a team lead is one of the hardest things to be because you are smack dab in the middle. So you have pressure from, you know, on top pushing down, you have pressure from below and oftentimes you have pressures from the side. And so the whole message of managing up is you have to take control of your work-life experience. And part of that is your boss, right? So when I talk about managing up, um, I want to make sure that people realize I'm not talking about sucking up, right? It's not about kissing someone's butt. It's not about licking their boots. It's not about, as we say in America, being a sycophant. It's really about uh, understanding that that is a relationship that has a lot of influence over your career success, right? Our bosses have a lot of influence over what happens to us, the projects we work on, uh, uh, our visibility in the industry. And it's your job to manage your career. And part of Managing your career is making sure that you are managing that relationship. So it's about like making a conscious effort to work really well with somebody who may be different than you because that relationship matters. Wow. So I'm really curious, how, how do I do that? But be, before we start and dive into that, because I've, I've seen a couple of your videos and I uh, obviously look at your website. I'm just curious, when did you figure out that you have a special talent to manage relationships with organizations? <laughs> Oh, that's such a great question. So I think part of it is when 
when relationships went bad, I'd be like, well, it's their fault, right? It's their fault. And then I started like thinking, no, you know, it's maybe not their fault. Maybe I contribute to it. So, you know, I've been doing organizational and leadership development for you know, 20 years, right? And so spent a lot of time like speaking with leaders and helping them be good leaders, which is adaptive and, and, and uh, trying to bring the best out of their people. And I just kept noticing that people just complained about their bosses all the time. And they'd make like these stupid complaints, like, well, that person doesn't share enough information with me. And I'd say, well, why don't you go ask them for the information? And they're like, well, no, they should just bring it to me. And I started thinking like, well, that's really stupid. Like, why are you, why are you letting your career suffer? Because you, your ego is too big uh, for you to go get the information. So I started noticing that maybe through all this, like, I see all these people complaining and they're not talking to each other. And in America, we spend $15 billion a year on leadership leading down. Maybe we could teach people how to manage up. Maybe we could teach people how to take control and responsibility for that relationship instead of like, um, and you know, it's, it's not that hard. Like it's not that hard, but people don't want to adapt. That's the thing. We, we like the way we operate. Right. So yeah. I like talking fast as you can notice. Um, <laughs> and I know I should slow down, but secretly I just wish people would listen quicker. Right. <laughs> that would be so much easier. So I think we get caught up and we like the way we operate. Uh, and so we don't want to change because changing is hard. And then the other thing is we get caught up with our bosses, um, uh, thinking like, well, they should do this, right? It's their job to do this. It's not right that they're not sharing this information. Uh, and so what happens is we get caught up in that coulda, shoulda, woulda. And when we get caught up in that coulda, shoulda, woulda, then we actually get caught in complaints. Our reptile brain takes over and we become victims. And once we're victims, we're dead in the water. Oh, I, I just love it. And to be honest, I was so much looking forward to this interview because I, I'm Czech and my parents were always complaining that I speak too fast and they could hardly <laughs> understand me. And I was like, wow, this is such an energy ball coming into our interview. So I'm, I'm just curious, like, how do those people accept you? Because you come there with quite different information than most of us would expect, right? There is yet another trainer coming to give me a workshop on how the boss should change, not how should I change. So yeah. what are the reactions from the participants of your workshops? Well, so first of all, we started doing the workshops before we even wrote the book. So I started this workshop at Managing Up, I want to say like 12 years ago, and it became one of the most popular. And people, well, most of the time people really love it. They do have this little bit of resistance, like, oh, why should they change? But when you start laying out the facts and you're like, well, what else are you going to do? Like, you can't change somebody else, right? All you can do is change how you interact. And so they start out a little skeptical because they don't want to change. Uh, but then we bring in like different kinds of bosses and I show them a really easy model. And then they're like, Oh, I get it. And so if you can give people pragmatic strategies, that's really helpful. Um, and just, you got to kind of lay it out, but you're right. They resist at first. And sometimes bosses resist. So sometimes there's two kinds of bosses and they'll come in and one kind of be like, well, I don't want my people to manage up to me. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. Uh, and then the other kind is like, oh my God, give me your book. I'm going to highlight everything I need my team to know about me <laughs> and I'm handing them all hundred copies right so mm -hmm. really it's about how transparent can we be about what works for us right our style so when I do these workshops I always ask people I want you to think about how who your boss is and how you can build that relationship but also think about if you are a boss how are you making yourself relationship billable with if that makes sense like are you being transparent in terms of of how you like to work and what you need mm -hmm. um and so hopefully i've seen a lot of my clients who are using this as like a team building thing uh they all have these conversations because the same strategies that work up and down work across too but the other thing i tell people is it's really about uh being able to adapt to different personalities and different situations right mm -hmm being able not to get caught off guard and always knowing that you have a choice uh, and to remain in choice how you want to do. So it's, you know, the old Buddhist uh, saying, and Eckhart Tolle writes about this a lot, you know, when you're in a difficult situation, you have three choices, you can accept it, you can change it, or you can leave it. Mm -hmm. uh, and since we can't change our boss, no. right? Um, we can make requests, we can't change how they operate. We can either accept and adapt to it, or we can leave it. And people yeah. hate to hear that. But at the end of the day, what else are you going to do? Be a victim and let your career suffer? So I don't care what people do as long as they do it with choice. 
Super cool. And you, you brought forth one specific uh, topic of the, the boss user manual. It reminded me of Lenka and I, we sat down 5th of February with, with our trainee and a good client to make uh, vision boards and vision books. It's like an inspiration day. And one thing that Lenka pulled out of a magazine <laughs> was like the wife's user manual. Dear husband, if you want to deal with me, here you go. Yeah. <laughs> that is so fantastic. I love that so much. I'm actually going to borrow that, and I will definitely credit you, Lanka, like the boss user manual. You know, what I tell people is after we go, th- I you know, talk with people about how you do it, different kinds of bosses, which I'm sure we'll get into. I say to people, you know, go call your boss. Go have a cup of coffee and have this conversation. Say to your boss, what are your preferences? What are your priorities? Like, what's important to you? How do you like to operate? How do you like to communicate? Um, what are your, my favorite question, like, what are your pet peeves? Like, what drives you cray-cray? Like, what really annoys you, right? Because you might be doing this annoying. And then I like to say to them, then after you hear that, simply say to your boss, what could I do more of, less of, or differently? to be in, to work better with you. It's as simple as that. And then the boss gives you their manual, right? And it's just, it's such a simple conversation. And uh, of course, how do you like your coffee? And of course, how do you like your coffee? <laughs> <laughs> and I have your assistant do that, right? So <laughs> little things. And what people get caught up on is it's not about doing anything unethical or, or you shouldn't do anything against your values or anything like that. It's often like the small things. Like your boss wants a lot of detail, but you don't like to give that detail. Like, Really? You're going to resist that? Your boss likes to use the extra comma and you don't. Really? <laughs> it's oftentimes just these little things that people resist. I just do believe I, most of the time, we just don't want to hear it. The simple is, you know, you just don't ask because you don't want to hear it. But instead of kind of facing the reality that it's inside of me, we don't say our boss is never time or our boss is never this or attention. So what would you advise to all of those people like I was? when they are afraid to pop that question, can you please tell me how can we work better, differently? Yeah, I think you said to have a question. And you know, most bosses want to answer that question. Um, uh, most bosses do want to answer the question. And when I do big keynotes or workshops, I always ask the bosses, how many of you have had an employee come with you and have that conversation? Mm-hmm. I've had maybe of the thousands of people, maybe 20, maybe 20 people have said that their employee has had it. So go have it. Your boss is, your boss is going to actually appreciate it, unless you have a, a boss who's horrible. And that's going to happen. I'm sure we'll talk about those. But people also have to remember that, I'm not sure if it's like this in Europe, but in America, we make people managers based on their technical skills, right? You're a good salesperson, so you're in charge of sales. Like you're a good writer, you're in charge of marketing, right? You're a good, you know, whatever, so you're in charge of that. Uh, But we don't give them management skills or training, and we don't actually, you know, promote them based on their acumen for managing. So as an employee, you're going to know, like, some of your bosses are going to be great. They're going to be naturally good at it. Some are going to be naturally not good at it and not know they're not good at it, right? Some are going to be not good at it and they don't care. So don't assume your boss is a bad boss because they want to be a bad boss. Right? They may just not know how. And so always approach it with a little bit of empathy and a little bit of curiosity. Uh, so go have that conversation. Don't be afraid to have it. Put on your big girl or big boy pants and go ask them. They'll love it. <laughs> it makes me think of one conversation I, I had in my first job. There was, there was an exchange. It was with my manager's manager. And he told me, just simply ask yourself throughout the week, how can I make my manager successful? That's so right. That is that, so great. That meant so much for the way I define my priorities and, of course, uh, how happy my manager was with me. Yeah, I mean, that is like, that's the age-old advice that is still true. And it's age-old because it works. Like, bosses have a responsibility to carry out the vision of someone else, right? We're always carrying out the vision of somebody else. And I think what happens is, and no boss in the world isn't going to be grateful if you're going to make them look good or help them succeed, right? And I think what happens is we get caught up in the... um, and in, in the, in the, the idea that we're followers, right? Mm-hmm. So if I'm making my boss look good, then I'm a follower. And in America, at least, we do not like that. Like, it makes people throw up in their mouth a little bit, like when they heard the, hear the word follower. <laughs> and, right? Because we all want to be leaders. I'm a leader. I'm a leader. But the truth is, if everybody is leading all the time in the organization, who's getting the work done? Like, nothing's getting done. Um, so I want people to think about most of us, even top 
leadership spends a lot of time executing the vision of someone above them, right? Or your clients or something. So we all have to learn how to be leaders and followers at the same time because it's the yin and the yang. You can't have one without the other. So making your boss successful is a great thing to do. Yeah. I'm just thinking you, you named the word leader and I'm sure that you've remarked the amazing millennials entering and being main, uh, let's see how to say, biggest percentage of the workforce. So have you seen any changes in the way how we interact with our bosses as millennials? Yeah, so that's a great question. I just want to say this right at the start. I love millennials. I love them, love them, love them. Uh, I, I, and I am not one, but I am one at heart. I actually ordered a computer on my phone the other day. I did a mobile order. I was like, oh my God, I'm so millennial. Um, <laughs> I'm going to buy this computer from my phone. Um, so I love, love millennials. And you know, I started the company CareerStone, uh, what, 12, 15 years ago, this particular company based on, I saw a lot of uh, organizations having trouble adapting to the millennial workforce and they were all like bitter and angry. So we did a lot of work helping organizations understand millennial mindset and like making way because you guys are taking over the world and I want to be with you, not against you. <laughs> right? um, so what, but I do find, so all that to say, I do find that somewhere along the line, I don't think millennials got the memo I'm managing up. And I think largely because millennials had a lot of support from their parents, right? They had a lot of adults actually really helping them. And so I don't think they understood that in the workplace, their bosses are not always going to be there to help them. And they may be very different. So I do think that I think it's a really great message for millennials. And I think it's for the most part, they're going, oh my God, of course. Oh my God, of course. Like, so I think it's a great message for millennials. Super cool. Awesome. I'm curious. Um, are there any special types of bosses that you like? Are there any categories and any tips for all of the peoples out there how we can deal with each category of a, of a boss? Yeah. So let me give you kind of the overall framework first of how do you manage up. And then we'll talk about some of the more fun bosses. And by fun, I mean the difficult ones, mm, um, the evil bosses. Uh, so first of all, here's how you manage up. It's really simple. You have to take a good look at who your boss is. Look at how they prefer to communicate. What are their, what's their communication style? Are they introverted? Are they extroverted? Do they like to write? Are they oral? Do they like a lot of detail or big picture? Fast or slow? Like figure out how they like to communicate. What's their work style in terms of um, are they task oriented uh, or are they people oriented? So am I going to walk into your office and be like, yo, Lenka, how was your weekend? And chit chat for 15 minutes? Or am I walking into your office saying, hey, Lenka, where's that you know, Penske project? So understand that. You have to know their priorities, uh, what's important to them, uh, what are their goals, both for them and their organization. You want to know their time orientation, right? Are they fast-paced? Are they slow-paced? Do they care about the hours you work? So all these things you want to look at. Um, and when you look at them, you also want to look at like what their pressures are, like what their boss cares about, what kind of pressures on them. So you want to get a good look at who they are, get a good picture. I don't want you to judge it. I just want you to notice it. You're like a boss detective, right? Just gathering some facts. So you look at, you look at that, and then you look at um, yourself. And this is a little bit harder, right? We got to, as you said earlier, like, we got to, like, you know, how am I in this relationship? What am I doing? What are my strengths, my weaknesses, my preferences, my priorities, my pet peeves? And then once you take a look at who both of you are, then you, just get, you get to, like, assess that gap. Like, where's the gap? And then you get to ask yourself, what am I willing to do more of, less of, or differently to close that gap? Because I can't change that other person. So that's what it is. Now, you want to see a couple of examples? Yes, absolutely. Okay. So let me start with uh, a normal boss, okay? So let me start with something normal. Then we'll do a difficult one. Then we'll do the toxic ones. So a normal boss is, let's just start with um, introversion and extroversion, okay? Mm -hmm. So you guys do your Myers-Briggs ever? Yep. You know, introverts, extroverts, right. So bring this back because introversion and extroversion uh, have a lot of influence over our source of energy, right, and how we communicate, right? So introverted bosses get their energy from within. They don't want, like, a lot of external stimulus, meaning you. Like, they don't want to interact a lot. They're not sharing a ton of information. They're kind of in their closed door. They may be in the same office as you and email you instead of talk to you, right? <laughs> And your extrovert bosses are going to be like all over the place, talking to you, engaging, oversharing, sharing, oversharing, you know, maybe take up a lot of your time. So these are two different people. So they're normal, right? They're both good and bad. So if you have an introverted boss, um, a couple of things you can try. So first of all, if you have an introverted boss, do not wait for that boss to come and reach out to you, right? 
because you're going to be waiting a long time, right? <laughs> if you need want their attention, you have to schedule meetings with them, right? Mm -hmm. Now they're going to cancel half of those meetings, but you'll have the other half, right? So make sure you are, you are connecting with them. Um, if you need to, if you want to find out information from them, you're actually going to have to ask them. Because uh, introverts, I'm actually an introvert, and it's not that we don't want to share information, it's just that we don't think to share, it just doesn't occur to us, right? Mm -hmm. um, so you're going to have to ask them for information. Um, you want to tell your introvert boss what you want to talk about ahead of time, because they like to process, we like to process before we speak. And then finally, if you're working for an introverted boss, uh, my, and, you're, and if you're a raging extrovert, I want you to remember the word wait, which stands for why am I talking? <laughs> Because <laughs> if, you're, if you're meeting with your introverted boss, you're just like blah 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 to fill the space. You are driving them crazy. You are de-energizing them, so you have to wait. So those are like some practical tips for introverts. Like, am I? Am I are you feeling me? Is this right? <laughs> this is like a relationship advice. I have a feeling it's just like not not just with your boss. It's like with your husband. Not that I'm speaking from my own experience, but I am. So um, it, it really works. Like I could pretty much see Alexander in most of those points. Yeah, but you named it like it's relationship advice. It works up, down, across on spouses and friends and everything, yeah. right? And then on the opposite side, so, you know, when people get introverted boss, um, they make up a lot of stories about the boss, right? Well, they don't communicate, so they don't like me. They're, not, they're hoarding information. They, we make up all these stories and people are different than us. Um, and so I want you to let go of the stories and just look at some facts. So with your extrovert boss, you have to do kind of the opposite, right? You've got to like take time to engage with them, go meet face-to-face -face or on the phone, talk to them, listen to them brainstorm, even though it's going to drive you cray-cray as they're all over the place. Like listen to them, speak up because they want to hear from you. Like that's how they get energy. And finally, if you have an extroverted boss, uh, I really recommend that you recap at the end of every conversation, right? Because oftentimes extroverts go here and they go here and they go here and they go there and it yeah. can be confusing. So when you're done speaking with an extroverted boss, make sure you're like, okay, here's where I think we landed, like A, B, and C, is that right? And that will really help. Because extroverts just say things because they think out loud. They actually think better as they process externally. So those are tips for normal bosses and people. Wow. Yeah, that's really good. And when I started my career, uh, I, I don't think at any point of my career, I took the position of a boss detective. <laughs> I didn't. And now I see like there's so much more value that I could have created from our relationship by yeah. simply asking myself these simple questions, even when I'm just in the metro or in the car. It doesn't take me any time to think about this. And sometimes, like, look to who, like, look to who your boss really works well with, right? Um, and look what they're doing and how they're interacting. All too often, when we see somebody that's working well with their boss, we jump to the conclusion that they're kissing butt. And that may not at all be true. They may just be adapting their interactions in a way that it's easy for the boss to interact with them. Yeah. That. So that's really important. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. All right, you want to hear about some difficult bosses? Yeah, oh, yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm very. Excited what's your What's your number one? What do you think the number one boss that people that drives people crazy? Yeah, the one that sits uh, straight next to you and watches over your shoulder doing anything and just talks you practically. <laughs> micromanager you nailed it the micromanager like so no matter where i go whatever i do when i say to people let's start talking about the difficult bosses which one is it is the micromanager every time it's so it's funny because when i do these workshops or these presentations i'll say like all right who 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 hates working for a micromanager uh and just for your listeners it's the people as like i said they're all over your shoulder, they don't give you any autonomy, blah, blah, blah. And like everyone raises their hand, I hate working for a micromanager. And then I say, okay, how many of you have been micromanagers? <laughs> and then I say, so when you were doing it, why are you doing it? And so what happens with micromanagers is that they need a little bit of information, inclusion, and control. So we all know, if we pay attention to the neuroscience stuff, the stuff by Dr. David Rock and others, that human beings have a neuropsychological need for autonomy, right? We have a need to be, have, you know, be captains of our own ship, have our own agency, be able to do stuff on our own. And human beings also have a neuropsychological need for certainty. We need to know that the sun's going to rise in the morning, the paycheck's going to get, you know, get on Friday, you know, and the stuff's going to get done. And what happens with micromanaging is sometimes our managers, for whatever reason, their need for certainty is really, really high. And it totally yeah. acts against our, our need for autonomy. So they're actually pretty easy to deal with. Um, it's going to take time. 
and it's going to take a little extra effort. Uh, but micromanagers need one or all three of these things, information, inclusion, and control. So you need to be proactive about getting them the information that they need. They want to know what's going on. They want to know how it's happening, when it's happening, and the quality. So don't resist that. I often say to people, don't take it personally if you're being micromanaged unless you're the only one on the team being micromanaged. Yeah. <laughs> Take it really personally because you're not doing something that they want, right? And the more we resist it, the tighter the reins they hold. Yeah. So you have to flood them with information, do things the way, the way they want them done, keep them apprised, status reports, uh, and eventually, once they trust you that you're gonna do things the way they want them done, um, on the timeline they want them done, uh, then they're gonna give you a lot more autonomy. 95% of the times they'll let go of the reins, and then you can start doing things the way you like to do them in other projects. It reminds me of one of my managers, like in Belgium, and somehow intuitively I did that, also because I followed like our own system where it's a lot about being proactive and having great overview and systems so that you are always two steps ahead. Yeah. And exactly that happened. Like first it was, I need to read every single email that you send out. I need to see every single thing. And then I was like, do you know what? Um, actually, I don't need to read it. I think that that particular manager was also a little bit overloaded by all of my emails. <laughs> That's exactly right. You flood them with what they want, and then they're going to back off oftentimes, you know? So I love that. And instead, what most people do, like, is they, they start taking it personally, right? They're like, well... Um, you know, you, and that's like, a good like the more like this you get, the tired they're going to hold those reins. So see, it's just about, and it's really, what's that old expression? Um, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, right? So if you take your micromanager head on and you give them what they need right front, you flood them with more than they need, they're going to let go. <laughs> I've seen on, I think on your website, and I think I've heard it also in one of your talks, that you had a family business or a business that you ran together with your sibling, was it with your sister? My sister, yeah, yeah. How did that work? Because I do believe there are lots of family-run businesses and there the boss employee kind of role might become somehow a touchy topic. Yeah. That's the so, same way. <laughs> yeah, so my business that I ran with my sister, we had two businesses. Um, uh, the first one was a, a little corner barn grill in Washington, D.C., right? Um, it was very, very popular. Uh, and then the second business was a nightclub, right? So uh, I learned so much about leadership from the first one. So my sister and I were partners. So we are very different. We look different. The only thing that's similar about us is our voices are exactly the same. Uh, so my sister is warm and fuzzy. She's very outgoing. She's um, really personable. Uh, uh, and she's really... Um, like, we'll do anything to help you right away. And I am more uh, kind of introverted, not that warm and fuzzy, um, uh, really kind of big picture. And so what I learned is how my introversion did not serve me as a leader, right? Because I would, my sister would talk through all decisions with everybody, and I'd just be like, here's what's happening. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I started to notice, I started to notice, like, how her, how she interacted really brought more things into her life than mine. Like people used to call the bar and they would literally say, and I, by the way, I was the better bartender. Like I could outring anybody. Like I was pouring, like I was, my numbers were incredible. But people would call the bar and they'd be like, which sister is working tonight? The nice one or the bitchy one? <laughs> <laughs> and they weren't referring to me as the nice one. But I noticed that like taking the time to adapt yourself to how other people interacted, like it was amazing. And so I learned a lot from being partners with my sister on how to start adapting to people. It's not all about me, like see what's important to other people. You know that old, um, the golden rule, like treat people how you wanna be treated? Yeah. So that works great when people are all like us, right? But when people are not like us, we need to learn how they like to be treated. So I call that the platinum rule. Um, so I would watch my sister really kind of pay attention to people and kind of just adapt a little bit to how they like to interact. It was wonderful to watch and learn from. Wow, seems like a very nice experience. And somehow I can, I can relate to it because the two of us working together is one big learning experience because we are very much different. I am the smart one and Alexander is always two steps behind. So the workshop photo. <laughs> and which one are you then? <laughs> I am the nice one. Alexander, I'm the bitchy one. No, I'm Wait, who, who's older? Alex is older. 
I'm older, yeah. How many years? Uh, three and a half years. Yeah, but you know how does it go, right? That men are always, like, in terms of evolution, a few years behind you. Um, <laughs> no, but in our case, we really learn from each other, and that's the beauty of it. We really promise to each other that communication and personal development is the number one. Yeah. It's really the key to a relationship, and it, it works, you know. Obviously, every single relationship, whether it's a working uh, relationship or whether it's a relationship with your husband, sister, it's a work in progress the whole time. It is. And the more you can talk about it and, like, say, like, hey, is this working for you? That's not working for me. Like, what works? I mean, and it's really, that's just the key to keep talking about the relationship. Uh, uh, and so that's why I like it. Like, that's why I often talk and, like, I'll use, like, frameworks of personalities or anything that can help people go into those conversations a little safer, you know, with some kind of objective behavior. Like with me, um, my team calls me the introverted workaholic, uh, introverted workaholic, uh, sometimes nitpicker boss. Right. And so, and then we'll talk about that. So we have talked about, so they'll be like, all right, you're nitpicking. Why are you nitpicking? I'm like, Oh, here's why I'm nitpicking. So we have these conversations. That's, that's cool. It's really cool. Like I remember when I was uh, in November last year, I've been to Bali and I was three weeks in a silent retreat and I happened to, yeah. And I happened to interview the owner and she said, you know, with our team, it's actually the team who runs the retreat. She's there as a support, as a facilitator. And she says, we have meetings where we laugh about all the great things we've done. Also about the stupid idea. So we nominate every single week, the most stupid idea and we just like celebrate it. <laughs> I love that idea. And so many organizations don't do that. Like, you know, there's, um, I'll go into like executive team meetings and they'll have this, uh, I think it's Patrick Lencioni says this, like you should start every meeting with a failure. Like everyone has to name a failure. You'd yeah. be shocked. These are mostly men and Alex, sorry, that they don't want to name their failures. But I love that Lenka because I think that's what we learn from it. At least you've tried something. I love it. Calling it the stupid idea. Yeah. Everybody's being so serious all the time. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Can't be, like I've been in meetings when I, you know, it wasn't a time where I wrote my book and I was still working in, uh, inside a big bank. And I had these moments that I was in meetings and I just, I was leaning back, looking around the meeting room, thinking, guys, what are we doing here? Like, <laughs> are, have we been put on this planet to sit here together in this small room and have endless discussions <laughs> about this little, tiny little detail? Look at this guy. He's like almost falling asleep here. He's like <laughs> to keep his eyes open. What are we doing here? I know. I think the moment we can just step back and smile and, and see the joke of this game that we're all playing, it opens the door to making things so much nicer, easier, and also smoother. Yeah, I think you're right. Like, it's like, I love that. I love that day. You have to kind of step back and look at it from a thousand feet. And sometimes I'll say to myself, all right, so... When I'm, I hate this expression, but if I'm on my deathbed, am I really going to remember this? I'm really going to remember that I had, like, I resented this. Like, that's really ridiculous. Like, I'll sometimes go back and read old journals and I'll be like, oh my God, why, why, why was I so pissed about that? Like, that's just stupid. So yeah, I, I love that, Alex. We're going to step back and take the emotion down for a minute, right? Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, if what we're doing is not fun, then why are we doing it? Yeah. Life is too short. To just I, know. I, have a, I have a motto for this year because um, I am a workaholic. I have a motto for this year and it's simple, easy, fun. And so I wanted really like anytime someone asks me to do something new or different, I've got to say, is it simple? You know, meaning like, you know, is it easy? You know, and is it going to be fun? Do I want to do it? And it's amazing the things I've been like said no to. Like, this is simple, easy, and fun, right? So I was like, yeah, I'll do your, your podcast. So I was really trying to bring more because otherwise you're not bringing any joy into your work life. Yes. And so, you know, yes, of course I do something <laughs> I hate doing, but I do want to make sure I'm remembering to bring the simple, easy, fun things in. I love this. I came from Bali and the first thing that I said to Alex was like, you know what? I don't want to work anymore. Like I'm done with doing, with doing all of the things that I don't like doing. Like, I'm just not going to do this anymore. And just this simple shift made me look at things completely from a different perspective. So I really like the point of, is it fun? Is it easy? And is it love? No? Yeah. And so is Alex not doing all the things that you don't want to do anymore? Absolutely. He does the, all the cleaning and, you know, like windows. And, no, 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 no. 
but it wasn't i mainly referred to my whole life and that's yet again we have it here, here a lot in europe lots of people burn out and yeah. it's mainly because we just say yes to too many things and we have issues with saying no we don't like failures we like statuses all of this and we somehow want to all be positioned as managers ceos and presidents of the whole world um and we kind of don't realize that it doesn't really make us happy so yeah. when i looked at all of my life pretty much the moment that i started to work it became about status money yeah. that's not what I want to be doing. So I had to get rid of that mindset of that belief. And I was like, wow, what do I love? Well, I love energy healing. So here I am. I'm just going to be a healer, you know? Oh, I love that. <laughs> and I love helping people to get this same mindset of discovering who they truly are because I see so many people struggling and basically I don't do anything else than just listen and show them that they do know what they want. They are just afraid of doing so because they're afraid of failing. So I was going to ask you, like, what do you think keeps people from doing what they want to do or uncovering that? Like, is it fear? I would say is it, it, it's fear of failing. They don't, yeah. we, we somehow lost that belief in ourselves or we were never introduced to that, like intuition, like we have intuition. And when I look again in my past, like my intuition has told me 100% of the times, like exactly what I was supposed to do. 99.9% .9 of the time, my brain said, no, 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 no. This is better. So yeah, I got a couple of slaps in my life, but they were the best, they were the best learning experiences ever. So once you learn like to look at life from this perspective, it becomes fun and there is no failure anymore. So that's what helped me in my case. So. I love that. How about you, Alex? What do you think? <laughs> yeah, I think the most important question of all is the question, who am I? Yeah. That's where everything begins. Ah, I, I made this reference uh, to sitting in the meeting room earlier thinking, were we put on this planet to do this? <laughs> and, you know, I say it with a big smile, but obviously these are the big questions. And yeah. sometimes uh, we just don't think about it for decades. Yeah. Uh, and it's just a waste, you know, we ask it when we are four or five, six years old, we don't get a satisfactory answer and then we just bury it and pretend it doesn't exist. Well, no, I think you're right. I think you're right. And then we try, we try to get all this external validation. This ex We try to discover ourselves through external things and that's not really what it is. I totally agree. I think about for me, I could totally agree with you guys are saying, I think for me the the question or who I am or, or what, why I'm here, um, I really do even though I'm not like an extrovert, I really do want to help people. Like I really do want, even if it's just, if I do a workshop and there's just one person that loves it, even if it's just a fleeting thing, that makes me so happy. Because if we're not here in service of other people, then why are we here, right? So I really, I'm all about being in service in some way with other people. Like I, I'm the kind of person where, where so I live in Washington, D.C., right? So there's a lot of tourists. And most of my Washingtonian friends will walk right by the tourists or push them aside. But I see somebody like who looks a little lost. I'm always stopping and I'll be like, where, where are you trying to go? Blah, blah, blah. And I always help people because I don't know. It just, you know, <laughs> do you do the same thing like that? <laughs> All the time. She, she, she has a gift, you know, like <laughs> always when, when somebody, uh, I don't know, becomes suddenly sick or is, or is fainting or whatever Lenka's always right there behind them to catch them. She just wow. appears out of the blue. Weird. That's cool, though. <laughs> it is very cool. It's it's first scary. Many people say like, "This is really a gift." Um, <laughs> you carry like a first aid kit everywhere you go. Since it's <laughs> like suddenly people faint. No, but I just see like as a sign, you know. Like I ask universe, like, "What am I here supposed to do on this earth?" And suddenly people started to faint and. And all kinds of things <laughs> but it was mostly the answer to the question like am i supposed to heal people and then universe was delivering me all the patients so yes heal and God, i love that because you know the other way you could have looked at that was <laughs> i'm a walking curse <laughs> and my and my presence is making people pass out yeah. i love that you frame that the positive way <laughs> Yeah, I'm yeah. trying to look at it from a positive point of view. <laughs> that's, that's a big part of making it fun. Eh? You just mentioned if I do a workshop and there's only one person who, who I really touch, it's a big success. Well, guess what? Most people who deliver a workshop, they would be thrown off by that one yeah. stubborn, 
arms crossed, show, show me what you're worth type of person. And you waste your entire workshop focusing on that one person. Yeah, it, it took me forever, like probably, I don't know, five or six years of doing this work before I was finally able to just, like, I would notice that person, I'd just be drawn, but now I just, now I just like, look at them like, well, that's fine. You know, you don't like my Kool-Aid, you don't have to drink it. And I don't focus on those people anymore because they will just bring you down completely. So you're, you're absolutely right. I'm just curious. Um... Managing up, is this the only workshop that you did you give? Or I, I don't remember, that was quite an extensive list of workshops on your website. Oh, wow. so, so we do yeah. so much stuff. So we do, uh, we do all, we, we do, we'll do two things really. So on the one, we do a lot of consulting with organizations uh, and helping them make great workplaces. So a lot of facilitation, some change management, some culture works, we do a lot of that. And then the other big thing that we do is professional and leadership development and really around the soft skills, the emotional intelligence skills. So we do things like uh, presentation skills, uh, managing up, managing down. We do uh, how to get performance feedback, which is so much fun. Uh, we do like how to run meetings. That's one of my favorite webinars or workshops is I teach people how to run meetings that people aren't like snoozing in, right? So we do all those sorts of things. And we focus mostly on early and mid-career people because that's when you can really love millennial work. That's when I think people are really more open to learning. Yeah. It's really hard to teach senior leaders how to do something different uh, because they're kind of set in their ways. Not that we won't, but we, what, what senior leaders are mostly doing uh, facilitation is strategic planning. But yeah, so it's fun. So every day is really, really different. So that's what I love about it. And every day I get to maybe bring a different sort of uh, perspective or a different topic. So it's what was the moment in your career where you gathered enough self-confidence to say, yes, I am in the position to step into a company and help them figure these things out? Because I can imagine when you first started working, you're figuring out how things work. So there is a point somewhere where you realize, hey, I see things or I see connections that most others don't see yet. How did that go for you? Oh my God, that is such a great question. I have to really think about that. I think you're right. I mean, I think when you first start doing this, um, it's a little like, I'm not sure you like, I had a lot really, I've really good intuition. So I'd like get the hit and be like, well, this is their problem. Right. But then I would second guess myself and whatever. So I think, I think we got this really big contract with the, um, with the military. So the big mil uh, big army hospital uh, system and the big Navy hospital system were merging and everybody was unhappy about it for different reasons. And we've got the contract to do the cultural integration. And that's where I walked in. I'm like, I see this so clearly. I know exactly what needs to happen. Like that was giving me that confidence. Now they were sucky clients and they didn't do anything I told them, but <laughs> it was really, it was a really, it was a great experience. And that's where I really got the confidence. Yeah. And from that point on, you're like, bring, oh, I bring it on yeah. as long as it is simple. <laughs> Easy and fun, <laughs> and else I'm out. <laughs> yeah, I'm out. But now, I mean, that's my. Yeah, but you know, the thing is about when you're consulting is that um, every client's different. So when you know when you go in, and you're overconfident about what's wrong. That's when you're going to fail too. So you want to really make sure that you listen to the client and the nuances. So I go in there pretty. I can pretty clearly see the problem, um, but I don't go in there with a prescribed solution. Because I really help that I want them to help me figure out the solution that's going to work for them. Yeah, you build a solution together. Yes, because otherwise it doesn't work. No, uh, otherwise it's on a shelf. Yeah, they need to feel like they're the owner of the solution. That's right. Yeah. Makes complete sense. Do you have any more questions, Alex? Yeah, I had one more question. <laughs> I'm yeah. not sure about that. Do we have time? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we, we have some time. What is the most fun, the awesomest workplace that you have physically entered? There's been a couple. There's been a couple where I've been like, I don't want to leave. I want to stay here. Um, I, um, do you guys know a company called Politico? They're a media company. So they're a big media company here in DC and their whole, their whole jam is covering politics. 
and they going into their office is always so cool the office is super cool the people are super smart they're young they're fun and they're serious um, and every time I've done anything with them it's been a total blast uh, it just the energy is really good and, you know I think it's something about them being journalists uh, and them really caring but not taking themselves too seriously but taking their subject very seriously and just kind of the energy and the youth of it so that's my favorite oh my god my other clients are going to kill me that's been my favorite like that's been my favorite so far the second favorite thing i like to do, <laughs> I do, this, I do this jam with uh this whole bunch of young government leaders um at this big conference called gov loop and that was really fun because again i guess i really like when i'm around some young people because the, yeah. the energy is really cool so i love it yeah and what strikes me is you're not speaking of the air hockey table yeah. or the the free uh, fruit <laughs> <laughs> or or the gaming console it's about the energy right. and the people yeah. that's, that's exactly right because you can you can just right my right you guys can just feel it when you go in how people yeah. sometimes you go in those places that have the air hockey table and all that and the energy sometimes feels kind of flat like i was in a place like that recently and the energy just felt flat i'm like why do you have all this cool stuff if you don't use it like no one was talking to each other it was weird <laughs> I have one last question before I ask you where can people get in touch with you and that is besides your book that I find very interesting and I'm definitely gonna read it would you recommend any other book to all leaders out there whether they are bosses or not yet bosses or they don't even want to be bosses is there another book that inspired you um, well, I like behind you. I see uh, start with why I love that book um, I really like I really like Dan Pink's. I think it was his first one. Was it a whole new mind? I really like that um, uh, And he he lives in DC by the way um, I really liked uh, it's an old one, but it's uh, the art of the possible uh, uh, Xander um, uh, uh, oh God, my book stairs upstairs. Um, it's called The Art of the Possible, and it's by Rosamond Zander and the guy who was a conductor, like husband and wife. And I love that book. Wow, cool! I don't know that title yet. No, it's just a, it's, he, is, he was a conductor um, at the Boston Symphony Orchestra. And he just talks about what he learned about leadership being a conductor. And I just, I just loved it. I just thought it was very inspirational. Very cool. Very cool. I'm, uh, I'm charged. <laughs> I'm charged. Honestly, I'm charged. I love your energy. And I was so excited, like seeing you running on that stage, you know, I'm being like very expressive. Oh my, that's going to be so much fun. And I can, I can, I'm a hundred percent sure that even though people, not all the people will watch this video. Some of them will just listen to the podcast. It's just like, it's contagious. It's just, it's just awesome. So for all people who are out there and they say, yes, I do want to know about, uh, I do want to know more about Mary and about her work and about her workshops, where can people get that in touch with you? Great. Well, you can find me on Twitter. I am at Mary Abajay. Abba like the band, Jay like the bird. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn at Mary Abajay. On Instagram, getting the pound here, at Mary Abajay, making it really easy for people. Um, you can also come to my company's website, which is careerstonegroup.com. You can go to the book's website, which is managingupthebook.com. Um, or you can email me mary at careerstone.com so i'm pretty easy to find just google me and something will pop up brilliant, brilliant. <laughs> can i just say you guys are such a delight like i am in love with both of you like i wish i was i could pop over for a coffee uh you guys were our delight so if i'm ever your way i'm gonna come say find you <laughs> yeah. absolutely it would be so much fun and when we are in dc yeah well we're gonna definitely drop you our email or twitter instagram or facebook or website or everywhere <laughs> That's great. I'll warn people that the, that the fainting healer is coming to town. <laughs> <laughs> Ta -da, here I maybe we'll send you. Maybe we'll send you over to Capitol Hill and heal a few people over there. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Thank you so much. I I, I love how many practical things uh, were brought up in this conversation. People listening, you know, uh, if you're driving to work right now. You know what to do when you get to the office and start talking to your boss. Uh, we know which books to order when you come back home. This is really good stuff. Thank you so much, Mary.
Thanks, you guys. Have a great weekend. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. So did you get the recharge or what? Like, I am even one hour later, almost skipping around. <laughs> like, uh, like from that battery, the energizer, how was that? Duracell. Duracell, yeah, like this one. Like, I am so recharged. It was amazing speaking to her. And you can see there are so many things you can do to improve your relationships. And as if you've, you've heard it, it's not only about managing and improving relationship with your boss, but with your colleagues, with your spouse, with your sisters. And it's at the end of the day, it's not a difficult. You've heard Mary, she likes to make things fun, right, light, simple. So you can do and just follow her steps. Yeah, you spend uh, about one third of your time at work so you might as well make it fun and there's always ways to adapt to those people around you i love how practical mary got so i'm encouraging everyone to, to try it out and let us know how it went leave us your comments send an email let mary know i'm sure she'd love to know about it just to uh, repeat where you can get in touch it's mary at careerstonegroup.com is her direct email address that she's sharing right here so I hope her email management is in order because I'm sure that she's going to receive <laughs> a lot of emails. Her website is managingupthebook.com. That's the website where you can get her book, Managing Up, How to Manage Your Manager, Career Stone Group, when you're interested in the workshops, in bringing her into your company, doing her magic. And of course, social media, Twitter, at Mary Abijay. And she was also on LinkedIn and on Instagram. Everything is gonna be in the show notes for you to retrieve. Right now, when you're on the way to the office, you know what to do next. Have some good conversations. Thank you for listening to this episode. This was sponsored by Earn More Work Less, earnmoreworkless.com. We have a lot of resources and tips to give superpowers to team leaders. That's all for now. We wish you a fun and successful day. Let's go out and inspire our teams. <laughs>